This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, and ideas from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Connect with us to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I'm your host, Jamie Wood. Okay, our topic today, this one's going to be pretty cool. This is called Relationship Management Masterclass. Now, relationship management is something of a catch-all expression. It can mean many things to many people. But in the context of media sales, we often think of relationships as being quite one-dimensional. This is my perspective only, but things like, I have a great relationship with that client are typically a phrase that you might hear somebody utter, meaning that we have a great rapport. But relationship management extends well beyond just getting along with the client or having a personal connection. It's actually a lot more all-encompassing than that. And it's really about being that connective tissue between your media publisher, your employer, and the client's business. Now, our guest today hails from beautiful Perth, Western Australia. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. It's John Dawson. Now, he's the advertising trainer from Seven West Media. He is absolutely the guy, the guru on this um, relationship management. So very pleased to jump in and have him on the podcast. A little bit of housekeeping. I won't drone on, but what I would say is that I'm looking to probably take a break over Christmas, um, but I am starting to do some planning and some preparation for next year's season of the podcast. So as always, hit me up on LinkedIn, reach out to me, Let me know any topics, let me know any challenges you're having. Even if you want to jump on a quick Zoom call with me and do a quick coaching session on a particular topic just to help kind of break it out, I'm really happy to do that. Obviously, I always want it to be that you pick the topic, you guide the show, and then we deliver content that helps you out in your role. So LinkedIn is where you can reach me. Feel free to read my post, like, and connect. If you find me annoying on the podcast, you're going to find me really annoying on LinkedIn because I post all the time, and I am definitely somebody who puts out a hell of a lot of content. I'm all about the quantity over quality. That's my mantra when it comes to LinkedIn. Just kidding. Anyway, here we go. The first five. John. Welcome. Uh, Hi, welcome. Thank you very much. Mate, before we dive in, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us about your background in media and uh, also interested to hear about your current role, which is uh, relatively new, I believe. Yes, it's uh, very new. Um, Well, firstly, uh, thanks so much for um, inviting me on. And also before that, I'd really like to say thank you for what you're doing and what you're putting out there um, and on this platform. I um, not only agree with how it's brilliant, for people learning in their first five years uh, coming into media sales. But I can honestly say, having been in the business for quite a long time, that I myself are learning so much. And so I can't thank you enough for what you're doing and and putting out there to helping everybody um, out there in media sales. I've been working in media for just uh, over 25 years. I've worked for four record companies, three TV networks, two radio stations, two digital companies. Uh, two advertising agencies and one street press. Um, and across that time, I've worked across you know multiple media platforms, clients and agencies, and it's given me a really extensive understanding of the sales process and understanding it from a variety of perspectives. Across those jobs, I've had roles ranging from co-ord, uh, sales exec, all the way up to head of product development, GBM and a business director. I'm currently working at Seven West Media and my title of my role is advertising trainer. I like to say to people that um, what I really do is I'm creating leaders. I'm um, inspiring and mentoring and coaching and training people to be the best that they can be. 
And uh, I have to say, in all honesty, it's one of the most rewarding jobs uh, I've ever had. And I'm sure, as you know, um, to feel like you're helping people is just one of the greatest gifts. I mean, absolutely, mate. And, uh, you know, our topic today is all around relationship management. It's a relationship management masterclass. And I know when you and I had originally connected and were discussing putting this kind of topic episode together, we agreed this one was was a core principle of effective media sales, um, you know, effective relationship management. It felt it felt like it was kind of all-encompassing. But what in your definition, mate, is effective relationship management and why is it so crucial to media sales professionals? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think it's one of the most important uh, things in a business relation is, you know, having those relationships and having great relationships. I know that um, in some quarters, what a, a kind of effective and uh, relationship management is based around having a strong CRM structure and process and that implementing that structure and process into your team is what it's all about. But for me, I'm kind of more old school. I kind of see that relationship management is really around connection. And, you know, as human beings, you know, we're social animals and we're all about community and connection and um, relating to people and creating those relationships. And it's also about communication. Uh, Communication is a really big part of it, you know, listening, understanding, so they can build and, and have stronger relationships. When we talk about it being crucial to media sales, you know, basically if you're selling a service, you're really selling a relationship. And it's the quality of those relationships that are the significant difference in the marketplace. Whether you're working in TV and you're selling spots and dots or you're in radio selling BMAD or impressions in digital, you're kind of all selling the same collateral and you might be selling different collateral in that, you know, you've got a stronger program than somebody else. However, at the end of the day, the diff- if you're in the same company, the difference between somebody who's making budget and somebody who isn't is often the relationships that they're having uh, with their clients. And, you know, having those strong relationships, it's high quality frontline relationships that basically drive high quality bottom line results. All things being equal, people want to do business with people that they know, that they like and that they trust. You know, I remember when I was working for a a large record company and we would have the national sales managers come over to Western Australia and they would do their visits where they'd um, come and meet all the media and they'd come and um, check out all the stores and uh, to see how you were going and what it was looking like. And uh, your job here was to trick up those stores so that when the uh, national sales manager came in to check them out, that they basically were just covered in your product. And it was kind of really unrealistic. And I can remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Why, why would you do that? It, it, you're basically lying to them because this is not reality. What you're, you know, what you're showing them is not really what's happening week to week. And I remember having a chat to one of the national sales guys and I said to him that same question, why, why are we doing this? I said, it's not real. And he said, well, the reason we do it is because we know that if we come here and all we see is our product is that you have a great relationship with that client and that means we're going to have great sales. Wow, that's a really interesting insight. So it's um, it's more so about proving the depth and strength of the relationship that they'd accommodate that request. That's um, that's a really interesting take on that, mate. You know, it's funny what you spoke about there before, which is all things being equal, 
the relationship or people like to work with people they have a strong relationship with and that they know, like, and trust. And I know for anyone in the agency sales space in media, Media Eye is a big, a big industry-wide sentiment survey in the Australian market. And Chris Winterburn, who um, will typically sort of lead that, um, that survey when he unpacks the results, he just consistently says, you know, the main thing that drives the perception of a media business is the person sitting in front of the client, like beyond product or platform or pricing or resourcing or any of that stuff. It's it's almost all driven by the relationship that that media salesperson has with their customer. Absolutely. You know, it, it really is the key. The difference between you making a sale and not making a sale often can be the relationship you have with that client. I think it's a good setup for today's main topic. So let's jump in now. Media Sales Mastery. We're talking about relationship management. What are the foundations of a strong and productive client relationship? The foundations of a really strong relationship are basically trust, integrity, and like I said earlier, communication. So trust is obviously one of the most important things in a relationship, in any relationship. If you don't have trust, you don't really have a relationship. Uh, I always uh, give an example of a situation where I had a client back in my TV days, uh, an agency client who just uh, signed a new housing client. And we've been promoting a, a new tentpole program that was going to launch our year off. And we've been promoting it really heavily. Anyway, he wanted to make a big statement. He wanted to show his client that, you know, um, what he could do. And so he phones me up and he says, JD, um, I think that this program is going to be huge. Um, I, I, I've seen how much you guys are promoting it. I really, um, I want to invest in it. I want to, I want to sponsor that show. I've got 150K. I want to put it into the show. Now, at that time, I was not confident <laughs> of this show actually doing what it was do- going to do. Often, a lot of times when you over-promote something, it's because it's not that great. And the other reason was that I, we, I'd seen that show on other networks and it hadn't really worked before. Now, it probably wasn't the best thing to do as far as the company was concerned in, in making uh, you know, that month budget and, and helping with that quarter. But I also knew that this client was the kind of client that if I promised him 10 tarps and I delivered him 9.9, he just wasn't happy. So I actually said to him, look, I am unconfident about this and I don't think this is going to work. And I wanted this to work for him, obviously, because I wanted his client to be happy and everybody to to do well. So um, I said to him, look, I don't think you should put your money in here. I said, at the moment, and as kind of luck would have it, we had just launched a new channel that was doing really well with Women 2554. Uh, it was absolutely killing it on it. And a lot of the programming was kind of uh, contextually relevant in that it was kind of home renovation, home fix up um, programming. So I said to him, look, you would be way better to take a little bit of that money, invest it into this channel. I will look after you, but take the rest of your money and go and put it somewhere else. Like I said, probably wasn't the best thing as far as my company was concerned, but I'm all about uh, building relationships, and it's about the long game. There's no point to win the battle to lose the war. Anyway, he says to me, okay, let me think about it. Uh, phones me back a couple of days and goes, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'll Here's 30K, put it into the uh, channel, and I'll use the rest of the money somewhere else. Anyway, we launched the program. Two weeks into it, being on the main channel, it's an absolute dog and ends up being moved to the multi-channels. Um, so it was, you know, while I was not happy that we've got a program that's not working, I was also happy that I wasn't caught in that situation where we'd done the wrong thing by the client 
he phones me up and he's so happy and says to me, thank you so much for, you know, doing what you're doing and being honest and uh, upfront. Because of that, we built a really great relationship. He knew that I was not there just to take his money. I was there to actually help things, make sure that things worked. And um, our relationship grew and grew. And over time, we ended up taking lots of, you know, lots of money from him because he knew that he could trust us and that I wouldn't do the wrong thing and, we, and I, would, I would grow as clients. Probably commercially, you did do the right thing by the company because that short-term injection of 150k cash could have burnt that client relationship and caused them to, to not continue to invest with you over the long term. So um, I just wanted to call that out where, where maybe the decision you made in the short term may not have felt right, but probably long term, it actually was the right call. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and like I said, to me, it's about building um, long lasting, strong relationships and doing the right thing. I'm a strong believer in karma. If you do the right things, the right things happen. And, you know, I um, often talk, tell a story about a famous sumo wrestler called Chioni Fuji, who um, is rated in the top three um sumo wrestlers of all time one of his um sayings was that um winnings about doing the right thing at the right time if you do the right thing at the right time winning's just what happens and i say to my sales guys it's the same thing if you do the right thing at the right time for your customers and your clients making budget is just what happens when we focus when you focus on winning and you take your eye off the ball um, and you're not, the, you're not then doing the right thing at the right time, you don't win. And it's the same thing if, you, if you're looking at your, um, your numbers too much and you're not focused on your client and doing the right thing at the right time, you just don't make budget. So for a media sales professional who's maybe looking to establish a, a relationship with a client, like it could be a new outreach where they're trying to meet an advertiser for the first time, or it could just be early on in the relationship. What are some, some suggestions from you for getting things off on the right foot and setting the bedrock for a strong relationship? I'd say listen, you know, be, be authentic and to give. Lots of time, the listening is absolutely key and you hear it in so many different things. And I've heard it often on your um, podcast where um, a lot of the guys that you talk to um, often talk about listening to be that key thing. You know, they say we have two ears and one mouth and we should use it in that proportion. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, um, where the main kind of tenet in that book is, you know, men are problem solvers and women just want to be listened to and heard. I often say that salespeople are from Mars and clients are from Venus. Salespeople, we're problem solvers and clients really just want to be heard and, and understood. And when you do that and you listen properly and you listen, you know, to their whole being, their, their body language, their intonations, their tonal and all those other visual cues to really hear about what's going on. You have a much better understanding. Uh, you can ask better questions, you can dig deeper and you can help solve those problems. You need to be authentic because you need to be true to you and you need to, I often say, you know, you need to sell how best fits you and your personality. There's hard sell, there's soft sell and there's a, you know, there's a gamut of different cells in between. Now, I'm, I'm not hard sell. It doesn't suit my personality. I don't say that hard sell doesn't work because I know some people that hard sell and they do really well. But it's about, you know, being true to you and, and um, being honest. And also to give. And lots of times as, as salespeople, we often spend too much time looking at what we can get rather than what we can give. I talk about, you know, dig the well before you're thirsty. The often 
going out to those clients and showing the clients that you care, um, finding out information in their categories that you can share. I remember there was a, a LinkedIn research piece that um, talked about clients being five times more willing to engage with sales professionals who who sent them insights or research pieces uh, around that were targeted or even general to their category. And often people don't realize that, you know, it's the eighth the eighth to the 12th contact of a client that you'll make 80% of your sales in. So it's about reaching out and showing that you care, um, giving people information, insight, showing them some research so that when you do need to sell to them, they realize they're much more willing and open um, to hear and listen to you and to trust you. It's like any relationship, isn't it? They, they talk about the analogy of the emotional bank account. You know, you've got to be making investments in people's emotional bank accounts, which is doing things that come from a place of giving and a, and a genuine place where self-orientation doesn't come into it. Um, and the idea is that you always want to be in credit with your emotional bank account rather than in, in uh, debit or, uh, or overdrawn, <laughs> as we should say. You know, what's interesting though, we're talking a lot about like relationships in the sense of like, here's how to build a really deep, meaningful, strong relationship. Here's how to get off on the right foot. Here's some ways to really establish trust. Um, what about in this scenario? So, so where clients actually, maybe they set the parameters of a relationship early on. And what I mean by that is, is it okay sometimes, JD, like, can a client relationship be purely transactional? You know, are some clients actually just seeking that type of relationship from a media publisher? And if so, um, be keen to unpack that a bit. Well, to the first point about do clients dictate their parameters, sometimes they can, but I don't think that makes for um, a balanced relationship. You know, you need to both be able to be heard. And in, in any relationship where there's a dictator, um, someone's always not feeling <laughs> um, empowered or uh, in the right space. Is it okay to be transactional? Yeah, it's okay. Um, you know, I, my relationship with my bank is transactional and it's okay, but it's not great. You can always move beyond that. Um, I, I'll give an example. I remember um, when I was uh, working at one of the uh, TV networks, we had a canteen there and I, um, you know, people would just come in and they'd buy their food and have lunch and sit down. But um, I've always been quite a people person. I love just chatting to people and getting to know them. And I did that with the people behind the canteen and I, I knew about their kids and about um, the sporting teams they liked and what they're doing on the weekend. And uh, on Fridays, it used to be fish and chip day. And uh, being Kiwi, I love my fish and chips. And I can remember sometimes I'd be embarrassed because I'd go in there and I'd get my fish and chips and I'd go and sit at the table and I'd have sometimes three, four pieces of fish and my plate would be overflowing with chips and I love gravy and it'd be smothered in gravy. And I'd be sitting next to someone who's bought the same thing and they'd have one piece of fish and a few chips. And even though it's, and you know, to me, that's the difference between a transactional relationship and a genuine relationship. <laughs> that's a great, <laughs> a great one. I mean, you just made me think about something, you know, there's a, there's some clients that I've come across in my time where they might present to be transactional. Like a lot of the time, we can very quickly say this client's just very price sensitive. They just want the best deal. They don't necessarily want any of the fluffy stuff. They they seem to really want to kind of drive us down, basically. Um, and I can remember having a bit of a, a moment of clarity a few years ago, just coaching a rep who was getting quite frustrated, just feeling like they were sort of the master-servant relationship. This client was just demanding all of these things, dictating all of these uh, mandatories, and really holding this big budget over their head. And I can remember being a bit objective. I said, look, 
think of it from their perspective. You know, they happen to be in a very, very, very lean margin industry, right? Their business is not incredibly profitable. They have a very small profit margin. Therefore, acquiring new customers is absolutely critical to them, but acquiring them very, very efficiently. And therefore, they would be expecting to see their money work harder for them. So what that's manifesting as is them really being quite candid with you around what they need from a media transaction. But if you were to be able to reframe that, you need to show them you're delivering value and you need to show them that you understand their trading environment and their context. And then you can actually reposition the the relationship and then you can reposition the proposition you're putting to them. So I think sometimes like we can actually miss an opportunity to your point when we're not inquisitive and we're not coming from a place of, of maybe a bit of empathy, we can quite, quite easily sort of group clients into different buckets and maybe just tend towards working with the clients that we feel we have that natural rapport with straight out the gates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to that point, I, I agree. Sometimes you need to think what's going on in their world that you don't know about. And, you know, um, what's the pressures and stuff that they've got that you have no, you just have no clue that's happening in the background. Um, you know, I often think of that when I have somebody who's maybe a bit grumpy on the phone or they're, you know, they're, uh, they're not the nicest. And I, I often think to myself, well, what's going on that I don't know about that um, could be making them go that way and taking it for granted? I always uh, love that story. There's that Stephen Coventry story um, in the seven habits of highly effective people when he talks about uh, it's a quiet Sunday morning and there's um, this train and there's not many people in the train and it pulls up to this hospital and uh, this father and his kids get on the train and um, they sit down and all of a sudden these kids are really noisy and they're making a lot that's really cantankerous and it's a cacophony of noise and these people are looking and they're disrupting everybody on this kind of early morning Sunday train. One of the guys leans over to the father and says, uh, do you think you can control your kids? And the father looks at him and says, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I I, I didn't realise. He said, you know, we've just come from the hospital and um, my wife and their mothers just passed away and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And then all of a sudden you have this empathy and this understanding of what's going on and the situation is completely different. And it's like, what can I do to help? And often those kind of things, even with clients and stuff, it's unless you have those little bits of information that can help you understand the full picture, you don't really know what's going on. It's a really good call out, mate. I think one of the, the techniques that I've heard can really help with that. And you've got to be very um, careful with how you deploy it, but it's just labeling a situation. So, you know, I've, I've had many times where a client can be a bit short on an email or short on a phone call, or they can be quite stern or they can, in my opinion, maybe overreact if certain pieces of bad news come their way. And a lot of the time, just labeling it can be really handy. Just going, hey, look, you, you seem quite frustrated by this, right? And just letting it hang. Um, it sounds to me like this is, this is, this has really upset you. Not asking a question, just kind of calling out what you're observing. And I've always found that to be a really interesting way of getting them to then elaborate. Um, I've never used it and had somebody not actually divulge what's going on. So I think it's a really good call. Like it's really easy to sometimes just assign ill intent to people's behavior or tone or manner. The reality is I don't think anybody, really no one, deliberately goes out of their way to be a prick. Like, genuinely, I don't think that's the case. So if somebody is acting in that kind of way, it's highly likely there is something else going on we're not aware of. 
Absolutely. You know, and generally, if people are like that consistently, well, that's just how they are. And then you just need to work work a way that you can um, deal with that and build that relationship from there and not take it personally. You know, lots of times it's just not about taking offence. Hey, this is Jamie. Thank you for listening to this podcast on client relationship management. If you want to go deeper into this topic, you should listen to another podcast we did around a very particular facet of relationship management, which is addressing poor client behavior, something that is very rarely spoken about and very rarely practiced by media sales professionals. We had the master himself, Nissa Malik from Paramount, join us. Here is a snippet of that episode. Call out that you recognize as an issue by validating, like, like there's a sen- that, that you sense a tone or the frustration or body like whatever it may be, just call it out. You know, I, I can see that you seem a little bit frustrated, right? Ask them why they see there is an issue or being a problem. Like, what is it? Then the biggest and most important steps are actively listen. Don't just try to hear them out and one-up them. Actively listen to their problem. So there it was. That was titled addressing poor client behavior have a search for it in the back catalog give it a listen it is a cracking episode very helpful very anxiety relieving for a lot of people nissa malik from paramount connect with him on linkedin too his linkedin will be in the show notes and just generally a really really good episode that i think we are going to start to unpack in future now without any further delay back to this episode Where in your observation do client and media relationships typically sort of degrade or go awry? Like what are some of the causal factors that might actually lead a relationship to start to become a little bit more dysfunctional or less collaborative or close? I think it goes back to not adhering to the basics, you know, um, the ba- those basics of trust, integrity and communication, you know, where you're not you're not doing what you said you were going to do. You're not communicating properly. Um, you're not getting back to people when they need things or, you know, I, I um, one of the things that I uh, implemented a long time ago and that was brought to me and I thought was a, a really great technique and that was um, stop, start, continue. Where I, and I used to use this with both my, um, with my clients. I'd use it with my own um, start, um, you know, my own sales team. And also even with my own superiors and stuff. And I'd ask them, you know, what should I stop, start and continue? Because you need that feedback for you to understand and learn and get better. Um, I never forget, um, I was doing this with my um, sales team one time. And I said, you know, what, what should I start, stop, continue? And um, one of the guys said, well, I think we should stop working back so late all the time. And I, and I remember thinking, wow, it was really interesting because um, I'd be working back, at, oh, well, I'd, you know, 5.30 comes along and um, my team's still working. And I thought, oh, well, I, I can't leave because I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm their, their leader and I don't want them to think I'm skiving off stuff. So I'll stay and I'll work back. And, and then they were working back and, and they were actually working back because I was working back. And so I remember saying, okay, no, from now on, 5.30, that's it. We're out of here and um, um, no excuses. But I do understand that, you know, sometimes there's a project or there's something that has to be um, put in and you have to work back. But from that point of view, then I said to the guys, okay, if one of us has to work back, um, then we all work back. And I mean that we all work back to help that person. So that if they were going to be back and be working for an hour, we all stay back and do what we can to help so that, you know, we're all back for 15 or 20 minutes because it's about teamwork and about supporting each other. 
The other challenge you have made is uh, you're all based in Perth and you've got a two-hour time difference from the East Coast where I imagine people are probably still sending you emails and asking for things and all that outside of core business hours which I, I think would actually just be challenging to manage as well. The really challenging thing is actually to Sydney and, and Melbourne, it's a three hour time difference. So, you know, if you're at nine o'clock in the morning, it's lunchtime in Sydney. And then at 2.30 your time, it's home time for a lot of the guys over there. So you've got a really small window of being able to actually communicate. And, you know, I'm always of the mind, uh, I like to get in front of people and the, the best communication is face to face. Next best is, you know, on the telephone and then emails. I said, anybody can say no on an email. Um, it's a little bit harder on the telephone uh, and it's much harder again when you're doing it face to face. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's a good little um, sort of segue into the next question, which is that nobody can really manage a client relationship wholly and solely on their own. Now, they might be the contact point to the client, but there's still a team and an infrastructure and a support network behind them. What are some tips for establishing and nurturing relationships between other people in your business and the client or clients. So your media sales professional, how do they start to plug in and connect different people in their business into the client's business to deepen that relationship between the two organizations? I totally agree. You know, they say that it, it takes a village to um, raise a child and it definitely takes a team to look after a client. And it's really important that all members of that team have access to that client and that client knows and uh has the trust of everybody in their team because you can't have somebody who's the only person that's dealing with the client and they're away on holidays or they're sick and then the client's got nobody that they can go to. Um, I often have spoken to my teams and I, I give the analogy that, um, you know, at, we're like a we're like a Formula One team in the sense that, you know, the cohorts are the pit crew, they're the people in the back end, they're doing all the, um, making sure that the, uh, the tie pressure's right and the engine's working and it's all going. Um, the sales exec is the, uh, the driver and your, your job is to drive around that racetrack as fast as you can and do it as efficiently and as effectively as you can. And then, you know, the uh, manager, your job is basically to go to that next track and to um, organize everything that you need ahead of time so that you've got everything in place so that when your team arrives uh, and the driver and your pit crew, that they're running at optimum so that you can you know, win that race. And you need to, I often think that it's really great to take your cohorts um, and your sales execs along to meetings. Again, it's great for their development to learn and watch because you want people to grow and you want them to then move into those next roles. Um, they're not going to do it if they don't get a chance to, to do that and to um, be in front of clients. And it's the same with lunches, you know, to take them along to lunches, to get to know the client um, in a better setting. When I go to lunches with clients, I've never actually really gone there to sell. My main goal in taking a client to lunch, and you know, I, I know there's no free lunches, but uh, I like to build my relationship and um, get to know that client properly. And so that later on when I do need to sell, when I do need to talk to them on the phone, when I do need to hook up for a meeting, I've got a stronger relationship and they know where I'm coming from. And the whole team knows that and can see that and are part of that. Phenomenal piece of advice, mate. Let's jump into the listener question because I'm pretty keen to hear your perspective on this one. I can't ask my sales manager that. Hey, Jamie, I recently had a client meeting go badly. I was encouraged by my sales manager to bring a member of our promotions and marketing team along to a client meeting. I obliged, but this person doesn't have a lot of experience in front of clients, and she's very much focused on our brands, events, and content rather than clients. 
As suspected, she made a few quite abrasive remarks in the client meeting, which I think really offended the client. I can smooth it over with the client, but do you have any advice for raising this with my manager so that she can provide that feedback to this person? And also, I'd love to avoid her coming out to future meetings with me. That's a tough one, mate. And I've certainly been there, as I'm sure you have in any business with a content or marketing function. What's your initial thoughts reflecting on this one? Okay, my initial thoughts would be, in the very beginning, you know, what was the setup? What did you do with your colleague before the meeting? What was the meeting goals? Have you sat down and discussed what the goals were? Have you come up with an agenda so that you're both on the same page when you go out to that meeting? You know, have you briefed the, your colleague on your client's needs and what they're, um, they're after and what they're looking for? Now, uh, I'm probably a, a bit more old school in the sense of going to your manager to get them to um, talk to uh, your colleague. I kind of think that it's best done by yourself first up. You know, also did you debrief after that meeting? Because that's the best time to bring up those kind of um, things that you want to talk about and discuss. I would be upfront, you know, lots of times use their sandwich method of telling them stuff that they're good, letting them give them feedback on things they could do better, and then finishing with something that's that's good. I also noticed in here that um, you said uh, the person doesn't have a lot of experience. So you need to take that in because they've got, haven't got a lot of experience. How can you help them gain more experience so that they can learn from that um, situation and, and that meeting so that they can get better. And also that last point about, I'd love to avoid her coming out um, to future meetings. You know, if we avoid all the things that we don't like doing, we never grow and we never get better. That's a fantastic opportunity for you to develop your leadership and your management skills for later on to be able to talk to her and try and make her better and yourself better. I also get that, you know, sometimes some people it's it's a difficult thing and, and they can't do it and you may need to tell your manager. But um, I honestly would start, I would go to my manager first and ask for their advice on what they thought and how I could handle it to try and do it better because you want to learn to do these things yourself. Mate, I don't have a single point to add to that. I think that's brilliant. Like I was going to suggest probably the same thing as you, which is that the 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 actual meeting planning would have been what's critical here and also being able to deliver that feedback in a very appropriate but timely fashion afterwards. And like, let's not forget, right, the, the discipline of media sales, a lot of people don't actually understand what's involved in it. I know, you know, ma- many people who work in other parts of a media business, they kind of see about 20% of what sales is, they see the internal, and they often see an empty sales floor because the people are out in market doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I think this one to me, exactly what you said, it just presents as an opportunity to be able to have a really good, crucial conversation. And if you wanted this person to come to the meeting, there was clearly a reason why you thought that was a good idea. And there was clearly an outcome that you thought you were going to be able to generate. So to, to then kind of dismiss ever using this person again would be a real missed opportunity, I think, because clearly you thought they could add some value and would serve a great purpose. Um, so maybe not deployed perfectly, but um, it certainly feels to me like this is one that's not terminal. It's one that could be fixed with some good communication. Absolutely. Like we said, it's about, you know, um, building trust, um, communication, and, you know, that integrity of, 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 of trying to do what's right. Exactly, mate. Well, that draws us to a close, JD. Mate, I think we could talk about this topic forever. I know sometimes with this podcast, we can get real tactical and we can get into very technical aspects. But I think 
covering off kind of the soft skills of media sales in this this world where there isn't really a playbook for it. It's more of a, you have to go in and just kind of test and learn and iterate in real time. I think this was really valuable. I'd love to know, mate, from from your perspective and um, even just, you know, for anyone from your, uh, your previous career, you know, is there one piece of advice or one technique or one thing that you've seen used really well in this world of relationship management that you would really recommend that the sales professionals listening to this podcast take away and try to apply this week? One of the keys is definitely around um, building strong relationships is about an authenticity and building that trust. Um, trust is really crucial in any relationship and you do that by great communication and great communication comes from you know listening properly. It never ceases to amaze me how often um, salespeople when they go out they that's the first thing they don't do. They spend the whole time trying to sell themselves rather than listening to the client. I often hear friends of mine that are girls that they say they'll go out on a first date and uh, and, I, and you know, lots of ways it's an interview and the guys spend the whole time talking about themselves and they come back and they say, oh, you know, he didn't ask me one thing about me. He didn't listen to anything that I said. And any time I went to talk, he'd talk over the top of me. A great example of, you know, trying to do better and uh, be more... Uh, successful in uh, your dates and in any relationships is to really just stop and listen. Phenomenal. And I've actually put something on LinkedIn about that too, which is um, nobody wants to hang around the person who talks about themselves. Like that's, that's, that's fun for about three minutes. And um, I think it's a, a really good way to kind of wrap this one all up, John. Mate, I'm going to put your LinkedIn in the show notes for people to connect with you. I'm sure uh, the team at Seven West Media over there in WA are very, very well served having you as their trainer. And uh, mate, I want to thank you just for making the time to be with us today and and for your kind words about Media Sales Mastery. It's a real passion point of mine and, uh, and I just love hearing that it's connecting and resonating with people um, you know, all around the country and, uh, and and other parts around the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really interesting. I actually uh, sent an email out a while ago when I'd first heard about um, your podcast, even before we'd spoken, and uh, I'd sent it out to the sales team to say, you know, you should definitely tune in to listen to this because we can all learn something. And it was amazing the amount of responses I got back that said they were already listening to it and how great it was. So no, truly, thank you so much from um, all of us out there in media sales. Thank you, JD. Appreciate it, mate.